Please be seated. Good evening. Please keep your Bibles open at John chapter 17. You'll be looking at the same passage. And there's an outline in your bulletins. If someone could listen in to your most private prayers to God, how would you feel? What would it reveal about you? I suspect it would be awkward or embarrassing. This is because when we pray, we reveal our heart. We reveal what our concerns are. We reveal what we think about God. So listening in to someone's deepest prayer is to see their hearts laid bare. Today, we have an opportunity to listen in to Jesus' prayer to the Father. We get to see his heart laid bare for us. And as we do this, we see what the Christ is like. So now, let us come to the Father in prayer so that we will understand what he is speaking to us through this text. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word and we pray, Lord, that you will work in our hearts through your Holy Spirit, that you will help us to understand, that you will help us to listen, and you will convict us to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, coming to the text. From the previous weeks, we know that Jesus has just given his upper room discourse. He told the disciples the things that they need to hear to enable them to continue on when Jesus is delivered and crucified. Many difficult things has been said to the disciples. Peter was told he will deny Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus tells them he is going away, he will be delivered. Then Jesus tells them that one of them will betray him. Can you imagine the uncertainty and despair that must be in their hearts? So what does Jesus do? As he ends his teaching, he then brings the concerns to the Father in prayer. And this is that prayer that we are looking at today. John 17 verse 1, After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Jesus looks up and prayed. This is a communication between the Son and his heavenly Father. And this prayer happens after Jesus had said this, which means this is a prayer in response to all the things that Jesus has been telling the disciples on that Passover night. With that in mind, we can then understand that when Jesus said, the hour has come, glorify your son, he is talking about his death on the cross. This is what Jesus sees as glorification, his death like a common criminal. It seems hard to understand this, so we keep on reading. Then we see the reason that he prays and ask the Father to put him to death on the cross is so that through that, Jesus can glorify God. Now, it might seem strange to understand how does Jesus praying to be sent to his death leads to God's glory? 
This isn't how we normally see or understand glory. So we continue reading on. And you will notice that this part of the passage from verse 1 to 5 forms a sandwich with the emphasis of the passage in the center. Jesus asked God to glorify him in verse 1 and verse 5. Glorify him on earth as he is raised high on the cross to die. And in verse 5, to be glorified in heaven in the presence of the Father. Then we see in verse 2 and verse 4, the reason for this prayer for glorification. In verse 2, it's because Jesus has been given authority over all people to give eternal life. And in verse 4, it is because Jesus has completed his work on earth and now is to be seated in heaven until the fullness of the work of salvation that Jesus has completed is revealed. With that then, we come to the center of this thematic sandwich, the meat of the passage, verse 3. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is why Jesus prays to die in verse 1. This is why Jesus left his glory that he had before even the world began. This was why Jesus took on flesh and was born as a human, to bring eternal life so that those who are saved will know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. John's gospel likes to show us how Jesus reveals the Father to us perfectly through himself. And it is through his work of salvation, through how he empties himself, humbling himself, taking on flesh, how he lived a perfect and obedient life, how he suffered and died for the salvation of many. And as we come to see this character of Jesus, we come to see the character of God. In other words, the gospel is the revelation of God's glory. Eternal life that Jesus comes to bring us is not merely a prize to us, but rather it is so that we who receive this eternal life can fully understand and grasp God's glory as we are saved. Now, the disciples, they don't understand any of this yet. This is a prayer between Jesus and the Father. But there will come a day when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples and receiving the Spirit, they look back to this day, to this prayer, to the things Jesus has said and understand why he does all the things that he has done. We then see from this prayer that Jesus prays as a high priest who comes to make an offering to intercede on behalf of his people. Here in the text, we see a, a greater high priest than the priest in the temple because Jesus is offering himself as the sacrifice. And so we see here the love that he has for God and the desire to do all things to glorify him. And as we continue looking at his prayers, we will see 
the love he has for his disciples too. In verse 6 to 8, we see that Jesus is saying that all the things that he has done and said to the disciples were done so that the Father is revealed to them. This revelation then is made through the words that Jesus gave them, which is from God. And these words they have accepted. They have put their trust in Jesus, the trust in the word from the Father that Jesus brings. And in response to this, Jesus is now prepared to die to secure for them eternal life. We now come to verse 9 to 13 of this prayer. As Jesus prepares to die for them, we see what Jesus desires for his disciples. Here, Jesus makes it clear that he is not praying for the world, but he's praying for the disciples. All along, Jesus has been protecting them so that none of them that God has given him were lost. But now, Jesus is leaving the world. And look what he prays for them in verse 11. Jesus now asked the Father himself to protect them. And you see, this is what Jesus has been telling the disciples since chapter 14 onwards. Again and again, Jesus tells them that they will be strengthened by the Spirit so that they will persevere, that they will be able to give their testimony to the world. And here, we see the same words spoken, but not to the disciples, but to the Father in prayer. And knowing who Jesus is and how his will, his heart, reflects the Father's will, the Father's heart, we can see is that this is not just Jesus saying something. This is an assured guarantee to the disciples that even when Jesus is no longer with them, the Father will care for them. And this ties into what we see in verse 13. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. So we see that Jesus prays this thing openly and before them, not secretly, not, until, not when he is up in heaven, and he does this in this way, so that as the disciples hear this prayer, they can have the joy and comfort in knowing that Jesus loves them, that Jesus cares for them, that Jesus is making the provision that they will need to remain faithful. And so, they now can have the full assurance that the Father will enable them to persevere and hold on. So the function of this prayer is to secure the hearts of the disciple. And with this guarantee then, you will see the stoutness of heart that's needed for the disciples for them to continue bringing the very same word to Jesus is later on seen. Therefore, the death of Jesus is not the end, rather part of the plan which God uses to bring salvation to the world and through that, glory to God by the revelation of the gospel. But the next question we need to ask is, 
So what exactly is Jesus securing for the disciples? They did not achieve great wealth and power. They did not become immune to sickness or injury. They suffered for the gospel. They died for the gospel. So what is Jesus securing for them? We see the answer to that in the last section from verse 14 to 19. In verse 14, Jesus clarifies that because they have the word of God, which is the gospel, which are the things that Jesus has taught them, they are sanctified. This means that they are separate now, made holy by the gospel. They are set apart for God's purposes. So this means that there is assurance for the disciple of glory in heaven with Christ who has brought them their salvation. And in this world, they are assured of the strength to persevere in faithfulness until they attain that glory with Christ in heaven. But that also means the world hates them because they are no longer of the world. Just as the world hated Jesus and now seeks to put him to death, the world hates the disciple. Verse 15 then is the heart of the prayer. Jesus is not praying for God to take them out of this world that hates them. He isn't praying for them to not be affected, not be challenged by this world that hates them. You see, to bring them to heaven immediately, that would have been easy for Jesus to do, but that was not his desire. Jesus' desire was that they are to be protected from the evil one, from Satan, the prince of the power of the air, who is the ruler of the world at this point. You see, the world is under the power of Satan, and the evil one will bring about temptations and trials to try and lead the disciple away from the mission that Jesus has from them, to lead them away from this salvation that Jesus has brought with his very blood. See, this is not a supernatural battle where Satan comes to fight with them one-on-one, -on -one, but one that is fought through the temptations and the desires of the world. And this is what Jesus asked from the Father, that the disciples be preserved and they remain faithful. But how does this protection take place? Is it that God is going to override their thoughts and minds every time that, that they think something wrong so that they will never be able to act in a manner that's unfaithful? Not quite. We see in verse 17 that they are to be sanctified, to be made holy for the purpose that God has for them. And this sanctification that enables them, this comes from the truth that God gives through his word to them. They are to be sanctified by the gospel. This truth of all the things that Jesus has taught them, the truth of the gospel, will work through the Holy Spirit as he works in their hearts. And that produces faithfulness. And this is the assurance that Jesus is giving them in this very prayer that despite the world, 
despite Jesus physically not being there with them, they will believe in the truth and their lives will be changed by the truth and they will act rightly based on that truth. Verse 18 then puts it, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus came into the world to bring the truth to the world. And so, the disciples too are to bring this truth to the world so that through the salvation that comes from this truth, people will come to know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So this is the guarantee that the disciples have. And we know it with certainty because Jesus prays. So in verse 19, Jesus says, for them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus sanctifies himself by offering his life through his death on the cross. You see, this guarantees that his intercession to the Father leads to the sanctification of the disciples. Now, all this while, we have been listening to the prayer between Jesus and the Father, and we know that these things reveal God's greater purpose for the cross, for the disciples, for his salvation plan. This message, therefore, is relevant to the disciples. And we know that God has kept them and sanctified them because we today know of the apostolic witness to Jesus Christ. It is through their witness that today we have the gospel by which we believe in and find our salvation. We see in the book of Acts how these timid men who fled when Jesus was crucified, they became stalwart defenders of the faith. And as we see their conviction their willingness to give up everything for the gospel, as we see the growth of the early church, we only need to look back to this moment in time when with this one prayer, Jesus has secured all of this. This is where it all happened. So, what about us? How does this prayer from Jesus impact us? Now, one thing we can take from here is that we can always look to Jesus as a model. And as we look at his prayer, his character, his attitude towards the Father, we can see that Jesus shows us through his prayer that all the things that he does, even his death, is for the glory of God. His desire for the Father to keep the disciples, to protect them, is still linked in to the word of God that he has given them, in which the disciples believe, in which the disciple will witness and give testimony of. And it is through that testimony, that gospel, that God is glorified. So if we are to align our hearts to Jesus, if we seek to follow his example, then we too should seek to give glory to God by proclaiming that very same truth, the very same gospel. In verse 17, we see that disciples of Christ are to be sanctified in the word. And that is the means through which God 
builds us up to persevere in the world. So that means we need to read God's Word. We need to sit under God's Word. This Bible that we hold, it has to be the Word of God, truth itself to us. It cannot be a cultural thing. It cannot be words of wisdom. It cannot be just mere suggestions. There is no Christianity apart from the Scriptures. Holy Scripture makes us wise for salvation and enables us to do every good work that God desires from us. Verse 11 tells us that Jesus desired that the disciples be united as one, as Jesus is one with the Father. And that is the truth of our circumstances now. All Christians are united in Christ through faith. Look around you. Maybe there are people here that you don't know. Maybe there are people here that you won't bother to spend time with after service. Maybe there are people here that you will never pray for. There will be people here who you will never ask about how their week has been. There will be people here who you would never ask them, how can I be supporting you? How can I be loving you? This is unfortunate, but this happens in every church. But we need to remember, this isn't the reality. In Christ, each and every one of us are already united as one people. So, in, as part of living in light of what Christ has done, the consequences, we should seek unity among each other. That means forgiving each other, treating each other with love, with respect, being sacrificial in how we reach out to people. And we seek to remove the bad things that keeps us apart from each other. Gossip, unresolved annoyance, anger. We should aim to be united. Thirdly, we are not to belong to the world. The world tempts us and seeks to bring us under the power of the evil one. So we are to have one foot in the world so that we can reach people with the gospel. But remember, we don't belong to the world. We belong to Christ. That would mean rethinking our priorities in life. That would mean not placing our hope in what the world offers. Which is more important to us? Serving our brothers and sisters in church, in Christ? Or serving our career growth? Is meeting together on Sunday more important? Or are sporting events and fun activities more important? Prioritize Christ. Hold on to the world with very loose fingers. Next, knowing that Jesus has prayed this prayer for his disciples, we who trust in their apostolic testimony and become disciples of Jesus. That means we too are under this prayer that Jesus has prayed. So we too have the same certainty that the apostles had. We too, therefore, can trust that the Father will keep us 
even as we are challenged by adversity, rejection, and persecution by the world. We are the church of Christ, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So we can therefore trust God, go out there, share the gospel, no matter what the cost to ourselves. So don't be afraid. Bring the gospel to the world. Finally, through this prayer, we can place our security in Christ. He protects to the utmost and does not lose even a single disciple that the Father has given him. And we see in the prayer today the heart that Christ has for his church. He loves us. He gave his life for our sake. He secures our hope through his prayer. And now, he is our high priest who continues to make intercession for us to the Father. So do we have confidence in Christ? Do we have confidence that he will see us through difficulties so that we can bring the gospel to the world and bring glory to God's name? as we faithfully proclaim this message of salvation. Do we act like we have confidence in Him? This prayer today teaches us to have the very same assurance that the disciples had. That assurance that transformed them into men who gave up everything to bring the gospel to the world. Can we do any less than that and still claim to be disciples of Christ? Let us then bring our circumstances and our failures to God and we rely on Him to strengthen our flagging resolve, strengthen our hearts so that we too can bring glory to God with our words of testimony that points people to the hope they have in the gospel. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for Jesus. Thank you so much that he has secured eternal life. And Father, we pray that as we struggle, we struggle against the world, to bring your message, your truth, your gospel to the world, that you will strengthen us, that you will make us able to bring forth this task that you have put on our hearts. Father, help us to bring the gospel to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.